It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And you're in, are, oh, you're in Chilliwack, right? I am, yeah. Have you been? I've passed through Chilliwack, yeah, but it was a while back. Sure. It's good there. It's, uh, it's growing quite mm. a bit. I'm Chilliwack born and raised, so uh, yeah, I've seen all the development and changes, but no, it's good. It's nice. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa and 106.5 in Toronto. Of course, if you're listening on the Radio Player Canada app, you could be anywhere across the country listening. Just type in elmntfm.ca and uh, check out uh, the website as well as uh, Element Online at the Radio Player Canada app. You can choose between Toronto or Ottawa to link in through there. And uh, if you are listening across the country, well, hey, you're, you might be uh, uh, tapping in as uh, one of our guests this morning. We have Nina Zetches. She is on the line calling in from Chilliwack, British Columbia, and she's here to talk to us about her business called Luna Float. Now, I have to tell you, um, when I read about this, it sounded very intriguing, and I want to go. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go. I mean, it sounds great. And, you know, it takes me back uh, to to a movie I remember seeing where they used to put people in a, a small um, a container of, of such for uh, uh, for floating, but it was for different purposes, I think. And, <laughs> was it a sci-fi movie? <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the best and worst thing that ever happened to our industry. <laughs> it gets people talking, but sometimes, uh, yeah, I get, well, it was, let me guess, was it Altered State? You got it. Ah, yes. <laughs> but, you know, if you are floating, uh, you know, and, and just chilling, it does take you to an altered state, you might say. Definitely, yeah. There's some float centers called altered states, kind of just, you know. Mm. going with it. <laughs> so Nina, first of all, congratulations on your business and uh you won the the Indigenous or Aboriginal Business a year a, a, a year uh, a won the Aboriginal Business of the Year award, I believe. I did. Yeah, our first year in business, um we won that award um by from our chamber, Chilliwack Chamber of Commerce. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Congratulations on that. Thank now, you. I, I think you started or launched in 2017. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about this? And we're going to we're going to talk about a few things because I really sure. think it's interesting that uh, you know you're doing this. You're, you you have this business where you're bringing people in. It's basically for relaxation and anxiety that they get into this this uh, tank of sorts where they float. And, and what I'm really fascinated by is that the amount of the of the salts that have to be in there to help them, I guess, support their body in the water. Yeah, no, you, you did your homework. <laughs> <laughs> Our tanks have uh, 1,100 pounds of Epsom salt in them. That's a lot, it sounds like. It, it is, yeah. It was really fun. The first, um, we have four float tanks, mm. and, uh, you know, we're all excited entrepreneurs, and we're starting to pour these bags. So that's 22 50-pound bags. <laughs> so after the first 22, we're like, okay, three more tanks to go. <laughs> And then the second tank got done, and then by the third tank, it was kind of like the novelty. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still great. (laughs) Well, there, that's that's another benefit. You get a workout at the same time. There you go, yeah. So tell me about this. You know, you you started your own business doing this, but prior to this, and this is what I really find interesting, and maybe other people will find it interesting as well. You actually worked in the financial end of things before you opened your own business, 
And you were, you know, you did small business. Um, uh, you helped other people with their financial stuff, which is, of course, very much needed. If you are going to be your own boss and have your own business, you need to be on top of that stuff. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, I think I'm very lucky and fortunate that I've had that background. Like, um, I had a business degree. I put myself through school while working at a credit union and then ended up with a finance and accounting degree. And then, yeah, I worked at a, a local credit union for 10 years. And by the end of it, it was exactly doing that, not only doing lending and stuff, but my favorite part was teaching or facilitating financial literacy workshops, helping entrepreneurs with small business loans, writing business plans. And then I just had that, like, I had um, have anxiety and um, had a lot of chronic stress. And so while floating is great for that, floating can be great for a lot of other things. Um, but that was kind of my, my why and my reason behind it. But, yeah, I mean, it was like all those things aside, I'm like, do I actually know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Let's try. <laughs> Let's find out and see. Oh, so it was a bit of a test for you. <laughs> you you used yourself as a guinea pig. <laughs> yes, in a way, for sure. I knew I wanted it to change, and I still like my the favorite part of my past, you know, business or life rather, was helping people. But I felt kind of pigeonholed. Like I'm in finance, I have finance background. Like how the heck am I going to get out of out of this kind of industry and try something different? You know, that's interesting because I think a lot of people may, you know, at some point or other want to grow or change or do something. And I think that often a lot of people do turn to something that they either know or they uh, have been doing on the side. And, and some people might say, hey, why don't you turn this into a business? But it is when it is a business, we have to remember that word business because uh, it, it can be financially draining and it can certainly be uh, draining uh, emotionally, and the amount of hours you have to put in when you start up a business is enormous. Exactly. And I mean, I didn't have any delusions about that. I, I knew, and I, when I could talk to people, it was like, okay, sometimes, you know, it, would you rather spend, you know, eight hours in this office working for someone else, or do you want to spend like 18 hours <laughs> working for yourself and maybe not be able to pay yourself, right? Like, you have to be okay with that. In a way, right? Yeah, the business comes first, absolutely. Um, exactly. Well, listen, that's great. So tell us a little, why don't you tell us a little bit about Chilliwack first? Because as we mentioned just off air before we uh, got going here, uh, I passed through Chilliwack some time ago. Um, I, I vaguely remember even where it's located. Why don't you tell us about that, where it's situated in BC, and, and then uh, tell us a little bit about Chilliwack itself. Perfect. Okay. Well, I'm Chilliwack, born and raised. Yeah, and it's about an hour, an hour and a half, depending on how fast you drive, outside of Vancouver, which, you know, we usually tell people, oh, we're from Vancouver, mm. and then you have to tell them, well, no, we're about an hour and a half outside, you know, through a couple of farmland, pastures, all that sort of stuff. So we're in between Abbotsford and Hope, for oh, what yeah. it's worth. Right. Um, yeah, we're surrounded by beautiful mountains. We have a, a river running right behind kind of where we live. And we're known for our, our big lake, Cultus Lake, our little family uh, vacation destination. Um, and yeah, surrounded by indigenous communities, basically. Um, I'm from Staelis, which is up um, by Harrison Mills, so about a uh, 45-minute, uh, half-an-hour drive mm. from where I live now. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a smaller community, but it's growing quite rapidly. What's Mostly the, because of the cost of housing. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, population out there now in Chilliwack? You know, you think I would know that. I'm not really. Yeah. I don't. Don't worry I about it. Tell 
No worry I about can it. doodle it, but... Yeah, yeah, no worries. If they're interested, they can do the same thing. It's probably funny. my business plan, but I forget. That was two years ago. Okay, it's so... it's grown. Yeah, and, and so you, you, you've been in business for a couple of years now, and I'm, I'm guessing things are going well. They are, yeah. I mean, it's, it's only been two years, and I think two years is a weird amount of time because sometimes it feels like it's been forever, and other times it feels like it was just yesterday. Yeah. Now, what have you found since you, you started this business uh, in terms of either, you know, and I know what you're saying about, you know, two years, because two years into a business, it's still growing. You're still trying to get your, your head around things. You're still trying to For establish sure. yourself. Mm-hmm. Our first year was phenomenal, like better than I had imagined, which was great. I mean, you need that as a, a new business. I mean, mm-hmm. for like financially and just emotionally and mentally, it was nice to be like, yeah, okay, this is this is going to work. People get this. And then, um, of course, nothing in life is linear. Like you know, going to go always keep on going up. So just try not to react. Like if you do have a slow day or a slow mm-hmm. week, you know, like. Is it something I did? And, you know, trying to react to that. You just have to ride the wave and know that there's going to be ups and downs and, you know, just keep on moving ahead. Or in those down times, or if it's slow, um, like the second year um, taught me some things. So we kind of cut the fat. We decreased some expenses by getting in-house laundry instead of using a linen service. And we're adding some extra modalities to the center. So we're, we're growing and we're adapting. And, yeah, it's fun. Now, uh, how big are these tanks, and what kind of an investment did you have to put into this uh, to get going? Yeah, so there are different kinds of tanks. Um, if you go to different social medias, like you'll see centers have kind of a clamshell um, or a tank or open rooms, which are really cool. Ours are somewhere in between. They're uh, called float cabins, and they're quite large. They're eight feet long and about a four and a quarter feet wide. Um, so my husband can easily stand up in them. And the water is only up to 11 inches, right? Mm. So a lot of people are usually very pleasantly surprised with how, how large and spacious they mm-hmm. are. Yeah, and then for investment, I mean, we lucked out, um, and we are only about five minutes away from our business, and it was just being built. Like, the actual um, building was mm. being built. And, um, like, yeah, so literally my sign was a sign that was like, four lease coming soon. <laughs> I was like, ooh. And... Um, so we had to do all like the leasehold improvements and the tanks themselves. Um, we picked not only because they were spacious and beautiful, but because they were the only Canadian float tank manufacturer at the time. Mm. And um, so we got a little bit, you know, a little bit better pricing because it's Canadian, and they actually lived in our community, which oh, nice. was just, you know, outstanding. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was a couple hundred thousand, all, or yeah, all in. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, not a, a pretty significant investment. Um, For yeah. sure. Now, now, the other thing that you have there, along with these tanks, is that you have this Neuro Spa chair? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's one of our new newer uh, modalities I was mentioning. Um, yeah, it's, uh, they're, ma- they're actually manufactured, patented, and invented in uh, Montreal. Mm. So another Canadian um, business. Oh, great. So yeah. t- tell me, when someone comes in, and I know that, uh, it, you know, uh, I- I'm sure that people are wondering what new Luna Float is about when they see the sign. I know you've had some people stop in. Uh, For y- sure. You've had that kind of, of traffic, but you you've, you also were the first to be opened up in Chilliwack in, with this kind of business. Yeah, we're the first and only one, so I was very... Um, you know, concerned that people will be like, not know what it was or why they would, why they should care. Um, there was quite a bit of people. We 
hit social media hard and early before we opened mm. and found that there were a lot of people who were driving 45 minutes to an hour um, outside of Chilliwack to find float centers. So that was nice because that kind of built this organic growth where, you know, locals are talking about it and getting excited. Um, and I think like, that's a way warmer referral when someone's like, hey, I tried this and I, this is why I think you like it versus seeing an ad on Facebook or hearing, you know, about us through something else. But mm. Yeah. Now, can you can you take us through what a person experiences when they come into your your business? I'm I'm coming in for a session. I come into the door. You greet me. What happens next? Exactly. Yeah. So we'd greet you. You'd fill in a little bit of a info form. We'd show you around. Give you some sandals. Um, we have a post float area where you can blow dry your hair. You know, get all ready for your day. Because some people come in first thing in the morning and then go to work. Mm. Other people come in after work and go out for the evening. We've even had people come out in their pajamas and go straight to bed, <laughs> which is <laughs> awesome. Um, then we show you to our room, your room, and it's a private room. There's a shower in there, so you shower before and after your float. And we supply basic stuff like your towel, face cloth, shampoo, conditioner, all that good stuff. So you basically get undressed um, and have a shower, step into the tank, and... Um, when you're in the tank, you just sit di- you sit down, and basically as soon as you lean back, your legs pop up. Like, you can't help but float. You're so buoyant. <laughs> it's like the Dead Sea. And so you can have the light on. You can have the light off, a little bit of music to begin with, mm. door open. Like, we really accommodate people to um, be in control of their experience. Mm. And uh, I find that's the first thing is people can't believe how buoyant they are. Um, but, yeah, stretch out, and then you just, just let go and relax. And some people fall asleep. That's fine. You can. You're not going to sink. You're not going to roll over. Mm. Um, yeah. And then other times it's you know a deep meditation. Sometimes people have profound creative thoughts inspire them. Mm. Um, for me, it's just almost like a big pause button. Like I don't. You're not dreaming. I'm just like not really here. <laughs> right. It's the ultimate time out. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and how long does a session last generally? What's uh, you know? When we someone... offer ninety minute sessions. Mm-hmm. Some places offer um, an option between like an hour or an hour and a half. Mm. That's typical. Yeah. And I'm I'm guessing obviously I, I, I'm the water's probably at an optimal optimal uh, 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 temperature. I'm guessing. You've got it. So um, that's kind of the part of the magic as well. Not only are you buoyant and floating, which is why we call it floating. But the water is um, should match your external body temperature, so it's not hot, but it's not cold. Um, the, so the sweet spots when you can't tell where the air mm. and water kind of mat, like you know where you begin and the water ends, kind of thing. Right. And then you can really dissolve and kind of like disappear. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's that's great. Uh, well, I'll just let everybody know that you're listening to. Uh, Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And the person uh, you are hearing speak with me at the moment is Nina Zetchis. Nina, say that for me again once more. Zetchis. Zetchis, thank you. And I apologize for, for the difficulty with that. It's a little bit of a different name. No, it's a Z. The Z in it, it's my married name, so mm-hmm. it's newish to me. <laughs> okay. But yeah, as soon as someone sees the letter Z, they're like, ah, this is weird. <laughs> Um, and anyway, she has a business, Luna Float. It is in Chilliwack, British Columbia. She uh, is also the winner of the Aboriginal Business Year Award in 2017, I believe it was. And she's been in business for a couple of years. And she has this new, uh, this new business, 
that she has launched there. She's the first one in Chilliwack. So if you're passing through, stop in and say hi to Nina and uh, maybe book yourself a session to go for a float in one of her tanks uh, in these uh, these wonderful uh, tanks that sound just, just like a great place to, to kick back and, and chill in, like you were saying. Well, not chill, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> I know just, what you're saying. Yeah. So what's, what, now that you've been doing this and you're into it for a couple of years, um, what are you finding? What's changed? What are you, what are you planning for the future, if anything? Well, um, I mean, I've learned a lot, and I'm learning stuff every day. I think one of the biggest takeaways after these last two years is just um, utilizing our space a bit better, hence bringing in the NeuroSpa. We're actually also bringing in an infrared sauna. Um, so obviously we had the room for this and just, I didn't have the capacity <laughs> mentally to organize it. And again, my main, my main passion is the float therapy. Um, the NeuroSpa helps because it's, um, is shorter. It's only 30 minute sessions. Mm. So for people who don't have, you know, an hour and a half, two hours to take out of their day, pop in for a NeuroSpa session. Still not a lot of people know what that is. So there's still a bit of a, an education piece behind that and an awareness piece, but the infrared sauna, I feel, is kind of a good addition to the trifecta, if you will, um, because people know what it is, and that might bring in a different demographic as well. But um, ultimately, word of mouth is, is building, and, uh, yeah, people are interested. So, Yeah, now, now the other thing is you, you're getting some attention. You were part of, uh, I think, one, one of six uh, businesses that were selected to be part of this Startup and Slay digital series and how she hustles. Yeah, I was just in Toronto last week. Um, Emily Mills, the founder of How She Hustles, uh, with a Startup and Slay project and event, was phenomenal. It was awesome. I need to come back to Toronto for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it was just, Emily is great at connecting people. Um, there were sponsors, um, CIBC, uh, Ryerson University, Futurepreneurs, and so she got we, us all connected and basically gave us a platform to share our stories. And the fact that she felt I had a story worth sharing, it was just a huge confidence boost for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just able to connect with like-minded women entrepreneurs. Um, sometimes it can be kind of isolating. And, you know, just having these people I met for, like, all of three hours and all of a sudden, like, we're making plans. If they're out this way, we're going to visit, <laughs> you know, vice versa. And, um, yeah, because you realize that you're not alone and, like, some experiences you have as an entrepreneur building a business, um, you know, that there are other people out there who totally get it. And, um, yeah, and, yeah so, awesome. so, so uh, we were able to, yeah. And how did you hear about this? Or did she contact you, Emily Mills? She actually contacted us. She, mm-hmm. their, um, their crew was already in BC mm-hmm. and they needed another entrepreneur. So um, she was really... She really wanted um, the group to be diverse, different backgrounds, different kinds of businesses. So it wasn't the same or similar story. She really wanted to diversify. And so I guess she plugged in a couple of keywords and (laughs) found us out there. And, uh, yeah. Well, that's great. Congratulations on all fronts and all of those things. Now, um, you mentioned earlier that uh, you were born and raised in Chilliwack, but you also have some Indigenous background. And you, you mentioned a community that was close to Chilliwack. I'm assuming that's your home community? Exactly, yeah. Stayless. Yeah. So what do you what can you tell us about that community and about that nation of people? They're amazing nation. Um they're again, they're a little bit isolated. They're in Harrison Mills. Uh my aunt and uncle are up there, they're running a bed and breakfast. Uh 
So that's owned by the band, mm. which I think is pretty badass because we're they're buying their land back <laughs> um, and expanding, and um, it's just beautiful. Like the air up there, mm. everything about it is very healing. Um, but it's a community that um, doesn't have as much as of the communities around Chilliwack. Um, in terms of, I mean, just because of their location. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and I never lived there, mm. but I can go back and visit whenever. And when I turned, I think it was my 18th birthday, um, I had a naming ceremony where they adopted me um, ceremoniously, obviously, um, back to the band, just to kind of solidify that connection, um, which was really important to me. Um, yeah, it's, they're just great people, very giving. And um, I've uh, taught a financial literacy workshop up there as well. Um find, like, a lot of Indigenous people. Our people are very um, creative, and whether they're artists um, or business owners. And, yeah. yeah and very really entre- cool. entrepreneurial-based, for sure, and thinking. Yeah, nice. yeah, I have the... I'm fortunate enough, I sit on um, the Stalo, which is, um, like, people of the river, kind of more of, like, a a catch-all phrase, I suppose, Mm. Um, Stalo Community Futures, which is a lending uh, committee, and I'm also the vice president of the Stolo Business Association. So um, I get to help and represent our local Aboriginal entrepreneurs, and of course that includes like Métis First Nations Mm. um, as well. Yeah, that's great. What what size of a community is it? Do you have any idea what the population is of that I'm not sure how many people live there, mm-hmm. but I last time I checked, there were only about, it's a smaller one, like maybe about 300, mm. uh, maybe 400 um, registered members. Right. Uh, you yeah. know, which usually... Obviously, yes, so go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I just say, which obviously doesn't actually encapsulate how many people belong there, right? Which is just... Um, yeah. It, it, go down the Indian Act, um, yeah. you know, wormhole, but... Yeah. And also, you know, I find most communities, there's people that are always living off reserve as well somewhere. Exactly, yeah. So. And I wouldn't know what that number was. But. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, listen, this is great. Congratulations on, on all these fronts that you're doing and with your business and, but, and also with your naming ceremony. Congratulations on that. That must have felt great. Thank you. I'm actually, it's, it's awesome. I'm actually learning even more because I got the naming ceremony. My um, name is Pulamia. And I, it was with my mom and my sister, mm. and that's from my um, great-grandfather's name, was Ed Leon um, Sr., and so it was Pullum. But I found out that he has another name, and so, yeah, it was just interesting because um, our local, our language is Halkamalum, and I was talking to an elder who um, basically shares a lot of stories. He's just a wealth of knowledge. And so I got to talk to him about pronunciation and stuff. And I always just assumed my name was Halkamalum, because that's our language. But he was thinking that it might have actually come from a, a neighboring community. So, yeah, just we, we're still learning a lot about our language and stuff, which is uh, neat. Yeah, it's like a lot of us, uh, like so many of us. Uh, yeah. Nina, that's great. Listen, if people are interested, uh, maybe someone out west or close to you is, uh, is listening to this and wants to check you out, do you have a website you can share? We sure do. Um, it's just lunafloat at g- or uh, dot com dot ca rather. Sorry, um, and then yeah, we're on all social media like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> right, the usuals. Okay, well that's yeah. great. Uh, thanks again so much for uh, taking the time to call in and share your story. Tell us a little bit about your business, 
and uh, about your community and about yourself. And uh, we wish you all the best with uh, awesome. with with your business and uh, and it's great to hear that you're not only uh, doing something for yourself but you're helping others in in, in, in so many other ways as well and uh, I, we appreciate you sharing the other side of you know it's it's one thing to to launch a business but it's quite another to to stick with it and you have really do have to know that business side of things I, I always uh, press that with people as I know firsthand about my own business what that was yeah. like and if you don't know that it can be it can be devastating for you so uh, you need to be on top of those things so uh, I wanted to thank you for sharing that uh, and people can look you up as you said online at lunafloat.ca perfect thank you so much and just another shout out for Emily Mills how she hustles if you're in Toronto and have like see any of her events definitely worth going just great connection great people Sounds good. We appreciate you uh, putting that shout out to her as well. Uh, once oh. again, Luna, it's been great speaking with you. Uh, sorry, not Luna, Nina. That happens a lot. <laughs> Luna, Nina. <laughs> okay, well, we appreciate you taking the time to call in once again from Chilliwack, B.C. on this uh, on this day. Thank you so much, David. All right, take care. That is Nina Seches, and she is the owner of Luna Float. And she was calling in from Chilliwack, British Columbia. And that was great to speak with her. Now, don't go away. We will be right back here on Element FM and Moment of Truth right after this. And uh, welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And you could also be listening anywhere across the country on the Radio Player Canada app. Just type in E-L-M-N-T-F-M and uh, choose either Toronto or Ottawa and listen at your leisure anywhere across the country, as I was saying. My next guest on the show is calling in again. It's our second caller today from the beautiful province of British Columbia, Mary Ellen Turpelafond, and it's great to have her here. She's a professor of law at the University of British Columbia, and uh, she's here to uh, speak with us about the new Indigenous Human Rights Bill in British Columbia. So, Mary Ellen, uh, thanks for calling in, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to, great to speak to you again. Now, Mary Ellen, this is, this is something that I, I think uh, didn't get launched right away. They tried to do this before, but, but it fell short. Is that correct? Right. So in British Columbia, um, the, as you'll recall, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission reported in 2015. And one of their main recommendations was that the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People be the framework for reconciliation. And the word reconciliation has been kind of debased and thrown around a lot. But the concept with the commission was we had to come to this United Nations Declaration because it provides the principles, the framework, the Human Rights Foundation, and they wanted Canada and all provinces to adopt it as the framework. And Indigenous people, you know, we wanted that as well. So in British Columbia, the chiefs, the communities, uh, they've worked pretty hard for the last number of years um, since the TRC reported to advocate for a provincial UNDRIP bill. And it was quite a remarkable moment last week when the Legislative Assembly introduced Bill 41, which was an act uh, to bring the laws and policies of British Columbia in alignment uh, with the United Nations Declaration. Yeah, and of course the first province to do so. Right, and it's the first province to do so, and um, that's 
you know, the British Columbia First Nations are, of course, I've worked very closely with the First Nations Leadership Council and others. <clears throat> They're very pleased about it. They worked extremely hard for it. But, you know, they are also expressing um, support. I was actually yesterday in my home province of Saskatchewan with the Federation of Saskatchewan Indian Nations Chiefs, and, you know, they were asking me about this, and, um, you know, one of the chiefs said to me that would be the the best day in Saskatchewan if that would happen there, and I'm sure in Ontario and or elsewhere. But, of course, with the new minority federal government coming in, the Liberal government in Ottawa, they had promised to do this, and um, Romeo Saganish, uh, NDP member who's not returning to the House of Commons, he sponsored a very important Bill 262 that tried to do it at the federal level, but that died in the Senate when the House uh, adjourned or shut down when the writ was dropped and the election came. So what's just happened in British Columbia, we're savoring it and we're very positive about it. But I think a lot of us are also putting our sights on Ottawa to see what's going to happen at that level. Yeah. Do you think this might put some pressure on the federal government to, to look at this more closely? Yeah, I think they have to. I think it's really important. I mean, I do a lot of work in um, with respect to children and families and the child welfare concerns about not adequately protecting First Nations children, too easily breaking up First Nations families, and how on the ground these systems have really been so difficult for First Nations families and communities because they haven't respected the rights and they haven't also taken into account that for First Nations people, there have been massive human rights violations. I mean, Canadians are learning more about it but what they don't maybe realize is it's like a lived daily reality. You know, that there are in British Columbia 5,000 kids in care, in Saskatchewan 11,000 kids in care. And those are largely First Nations kids that are not in their families and their communities. And they're most often in stranger foster care where they're not learning their language and being connected to their families. So these human rights approaches, like the United Nations Declaration, have really important, they don't create new rights, but they reaffirm rights for Indigenous people, like the right not to have your children removed from your culture to someone else's culture. Like that's, um, cultural safety is so important. So again, I hope Ottawa feels the pressure they have to do things on, for instance, child welfare, because they've been found to have willfully discriminated against First Nations children by the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. So the United Nations Declaration would put things on the right for the future, and I hope that they do, you know, do produce something. Uh, certainly the Prime Minister will be under pressure because I believe a number of the opposition parties have adopted this as part of their platform. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned and brought up the Human Rights Tribunal, and, and you led directly into that with this uh, with this Bill 41 in BC. And I'm wondering how did the, you know, you alluded to some degree about how they work together. That's right, they really do work together, and so... Um, you know, when the Premier of British Columbia spoke in the legislature last week around the introduction of this bill, you know, he said boldly, you know, that they want a future in British Columbia where there's no First Nations children in care. Because what's happened to families like through residential school, all of those, I say, massive human rights violations, like, you know, they're not just academic issues that we now make grade school kids study. Um, you know, there, it's going to take generations to address this. And First Nations people, like, we need support, right? We need the support of governments. We need the support of people, friends and neighbours, to understand that the protection of human rights is really critical. I mean, 
Canada's record on the protection of um, Indigenous peoples isn't very good. Canada's record on the protection of minority rights, whether we deal with the Chinese head tax or others, you know, there, this is, is, is something that we really need to move forward to be much more rights-respecting society. And again, um, I'm sure many Canadians, when they saw what happened to Jody Wilson-Raybould at the end of the last parliament, a lot of Canadians seem to be really shocked that, like, First Nations people really value peace, justice, and the rule of law. And again, that's a bit of a shocker to people, I think, because they've been given so many stereotypes. But, you know, our most prominent, respected people, like Jody Wilson-Raybould, I'm glad we'll be going back to Parliament, you know, as a matriarch, as a respected member of the community, like, she really feels strongly that you stand up for what is right and what is just and the rule of law. And these are not just, like, frivolous side issues. These are really significant issues for uh, a fair, respectful society. I'm I'm glad you said that, and and I think that we were all happy to see that Jody was reelected and will be going back as an independent. Uh, and it did speak, uh, I I think, to exactly those things that you just raised that uh, she she stands up for for what is right and she's not afraid to say so. Um, and I and I think that that uh, you know we were we were all again so happy that 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 happened. Now you mentioned a couple of things in there about Romeo and and the bill that he was trying to bring forward that that uh, unfortunately fell because of the uh, uh, you know the government being dissolved for the election. Um, but the other thing about this this uh, this bill for indigenous people in British Columbia you, you you talked a little bit about how the general population are not necessarily aware of what Indigenous people are facing that that they're not aware of of how the discrimination has been there uh, throughout the years in Canada and what these people have been facing. But I guess the other thing is that's important to to remember or to try and get out there is that this this bill, although it is directed at Indigenous people, it is a human rights. It's about all human people. It's about all human rights. That's right. And the interesting thing about the United Nations Declaration is. First of all, you know, it was prepared with massive involvement of Indigenous people from all over the world, including Canada. Like, some very prominent Canadians did that, and I really lift my hat up to the people who did it, um, like Grand Chief Ed John and others, because, uh, and Romeo Saganish, because, you know, they were residential school survivors who mm. went through these brutal schools. And if you know, for instance, Romeo at all, you know that, like, you know, this is his passion, human rights, because he could have taken all that bitterness and resentment and violence and aggression that he lived with as a child in those schools, taken from his parents and so forth in northern Quebec. And he could have just, like, you know, self-immolated, like so many people did, because it was such a terrible thing that people have gone through. But he redirected it, like Grand Chief John and many others, I can't name them all. Mm-hmm. And they went to the United Nations, and they had the United Nations work with all the states and had the General Assembly of the United Nations, like 10 times they've affirmed this United Nations Declaration, which really is not about new rights so much as it's confirming that Indigenous people have human rights. And in the context of Indigenous people's experience, Human rights principles are so important to provide the kind of understanding and respect. And so that's why the declaration is critical. And it's critical in a province like British Columbia, where, you know, there aren't treaties. I mean, the land issue hasn't been dealt with properly. There have been some pretty horrific issues in British Columbia, like other parts of Canada, not just like the residential school experience, but like right straight out land swindles, where people's lands was taken, 
um, you know, there were pretty awful situations on which there has to be meaningful reconciliation. Uh, we saw last uh, or earlier this year with the Silco team in uh, the Williams Lake area of British Columbia, you know, the Prime Minister attended their community and apologized for the hanging of their leaders um, from the Chilcotin War. Like, there's so many issues that need reconciliation that are just sort of sitting festering and Canadians, friends, neighbours and others maybe don't understand it, but we, we do have to deal with them and there is a way to deal with them. And the human rights framework gives us a way to actually come together, work through this and go forward. And what I always like to emphasize is like it's not threatening, right? I mean, peace, justice and human rights, you know, it sounds like peace, order and good government. That's what we're supposed to be in this for. We're not in it for conflict, aggression and hostility and being positional and against each other. So human rights are not a bad thing to stand on. They're a good thing to stand on, and they're needed. Yeah. I'm glad you, you also mentioned there about the injustices to, perpetrated towards First Nation people. And you mentioned British Columbia, which is just one of the provinces of Canada. And if we looked right across the country, we'd see that repeated in every single province and territory. And it's been so unfortunate that that has happened. And hopefully this new bill in British Columbia will help lead the way to uh, to rectifying some of that and and getting more uh, more uh, uh, awareness and more uh, 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 traffic directed to knowing about these things and getting them corrected as we were saying. But I also want, just want to jump in and mention that you are listening to Element FM and Moment of Truth in Toronto and Ottawa, and you can uh, listen at one hundred six point five in Toronto, ninety five point seven in Ottawa, and also online by. Uh, going to the Radio Player Canada app. My guest today is Mary Ellen Turple-Lafond, and she is calling in from British Columbia uh, and uh, in, in Victoria today, which is great that she took the time to do so. Uh, Mary Ellen, I'm just wondering, uh, with the adoption of this and moving forward, what do you see as some of the challenges that might be faced? Well, I, th- I think actually it's so positive. I mean, there we, it's interesting because so much work has been done in British Columbia. Like First Nations are really involved in all aspects of the economy, as they always were. But because of some of these colonial policies, like you know the past system where you had to stay on the reserve and all of these other things, they were so and poor education attainment levels. Um, you know, in the past, because of residential school, people were held back for a long time. But in British Columbia, you know, there's literally thousands of First Nations businesses. There's thousands of First Nations working on economic development activities. So this legislation where people were like, oh, it could be very challenging, like the business community. What about the mining sector? Will they support this? Actually, the Business Council of BC, the BC Mining Association that have many, many initiatives, probably more Initiatives were started, for instance, with the Tulpan in that region of BC than anywhere else in Canada. Um, you know, they're doing business. First Nations are doing business and human rights and business do not conflict. They work together and business uh, like uh, companies that want to do business with First Nations need to understand First Nations and work with us. And they are doing that in British Columbia and First Nations business are a power and they're, they're like a powerhouse, right? Um, And so the revitalization of business, of language, of identity, uh, and again, what will happen with the younger generation that doesn't have the same restrictions that their parents and grandparents did. Like, you know, my kids or grandparents went to residential school. Uh, you know, they study that. They understand it in our family. But they're not going to have the same limitations that we all felt. 
and they're going to take their rightful place in society and build and grow the society. So I really don't see a lot of challenges that are going to arise. What I see is real opportunity. And when you get past conflict that you can't deal with, like just that anger and conflict burden, you have to like go to court and fight for your rights constantly because nobody respects you. When you can get to a place of more respectful coexistence and collaboration, everything else becomes easier. And so I think in British Columbia, you know, it's, it's, Unwinding 140 years of colonialism is going to take time for sure, but it's going to be a lot easier than it was. And you can see that with the words of like some of our most respected chiefs and elders who really have embraced us and our young people, and they're going to pick it up and they're going to make it what they're going to make it, but they're not going to have to be ashamed. They're not going to be blamed for the things that have gone on with these policies, and they're not going to be ashamed of their identity. So Canada and British Columbia will be all the richer for that. Yeah, again, thanks for for mentioning all of that, including what you said about business and and would business, you know, uh, adopt or be be happy about this. But I think you you already gave the answer there, because from what I've seen in the past, where business and Indigenous uh, communities have have been uh, looking or working on an issue of trying to get together, whether it's about resources or traditional territory or any of those things, I think if this would lay out a clearer path, uh, a clearer uh, way for for this uh, relationship to move forward, it would actually benefit. It wouldn't be a challenge, like you were saying. It would it would help, and I think people would feel more more uh, more relaxed about those things. Yeah, and I think again, you know, if we want to talk sort of about the elephant in the room, you know, pipelines, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of passionately important to Canadians, you know, if Trudeau um, had perhaps listened to his justice minister done this kind of work on Indigenous people's human rights early in his last term and had a framework in place, wouldn't it be in a situation where they're trying to sort of ram a pipeline down everyone's throat? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you want to, and I'm not saying it's all about a pipeline, but if you, you know, if you want to engage in a major resource project on First Nations people's lands, you know, you don't sort of announce it, do it, and then come to their door just five minutes before and say, oh, by the way, you know, to the Tsleil-Waututh Nation or what have you, there's a giant pipeline, there's a more terminals and containers being built in your backyard. And, you know, sorry about those 74 orcas, they may not be there. Right. I mean, you know, but it's okay, but it's all going to be good. It's all going to be great people. Like, you don't have that kind of process. So we've had these really flawed processes where they try to keep fixing something that's broken, but they don't really fix it. Yeah. So I think that's why in British Columbia, like, you know, really, this isn't just about a pipeline or a pipeline, but it's, it's that needs to be studied. And I think for First Nations, we've been saying that a lot, like, you know, it's okay, Prime Minister, if you have 14 Prairie First Nations who want this pipeline, but the people at the end of the pipeline whose territory it's going to, you know, is going to be sitting on that are most dramatically impacted, who haven't had their rights respected, who rely on their fishing grounds and for their identity and their relationship to the salmon and others... You know, you can't just think of them as an after-the-fact after consideration and then diminish and humiliate them so that people are pitted against them. And that, that, that is, has all the hallmarks of an approach that doesn't respect human rights because then you put people in conflict and they have to go to court like the Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish and others did. And, you know, Trudeau's own courts had to say to him, you can't do this. Mm. They have rights. They're peoples with territory. And now, you know, I do worry with the government coming back, that because there's been such divisive politics on the energy sector and pipelines, 
that again, the pressure is really going to be on those First Nations as somehow spoilers of the Canadian dream, as mm-hmm. opposed to respectfully dealing with their rights. So, you know, we know there are going to be challenges, and we're going, we're we're talking about that every day, but. We're not entirely happy. I mean, I'm not speaking for all Indigenous people by a long shot, but, you know, I, for one, am not very happy about the kind of discussion that the federal government has allowed to fester and the fact that they sort of hung First Nations out there to be, you know, battered in this debate instead of being principled in the human rights base. So British Columbia is kind of ground zero for that too, right? So we're, we, we know that. And if one First Nations wants to develop you know, a resource project with a company, external company or whatever, and they've, they've done their work fine. People respect the self-determination of each First Nation, but don't foist it on people whose territory will be, you know, really impacted and think you're doing something good for them. Mm. So, I mean, that, that's just like it's, you know, people don't show up to your door in the morning when you own like a farm in Ontario and say, oh, by the way, we're taking your farm over this afternoon. Right. Like it's just not respectful no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Very true. Uh, Mary Ellen, I'm just wondering, is there anything else we haven't touched on that you would like to mention just before we finish up? Um, No, just to say that um, I hope that people across Canada that are looking at what happened in British Columbia unfolds. I mean, I hope the bill gets passed by the B.C. legislature. I would just say that, you know, the B.C. government is in a minority government situation. They have to work closely with the Greens. This is a bill that um, actually has the support of all parties of the legislature, the Liberals, the New Democratic Party, that's in the minority government situation, and the Greens. So the consensus that we have around this in British Columbia is in itself a sight to behold, and it didn't just happen because people woke up in the morning and said, hey, we're going to work together. It happened because First Nations leaders work with everyone and have spent a lot of effort to bring people together. And I hope that that's some sort of a lesson for this new parliament that's going to open in Ottawa soon with a minority government situation. Take some time to work together. Do not, you know, try and get points by attacking Indigenous people because it just, it's, it's not a good look for Canada uh, and it doesn't work. So, you know, I, I hope there's a little bit of uh, inspiration there for others. Great. Mary Ellen, uh, Mary Ellen uh, thank you so much for taking time to call in and share those thoughts with us and bringing us up to date on the Indigenous Human Rights Bill in British Columbia. We wish it well, and we wish you well, and we really want to just say uh, miigwech and wanishi, and thank you once again for taking the time to call in from beautiful British Columbia in uh, Victoria to speak with us today. Thank you so much. Talk to you again. Okay, thanks. Take care. That is Mary Ellen Turpel-Lafond, and she was calling in from British Columbia, and she's a professor of law at the University of British Columbia, and uh, she was in Vancouver, as she called us. So once again, she called in to talk to us and bring us up to date on the Indigenous Human Rights Bill that uh, recently passed in, in, uh, the, in British Columbia. Thanks to her for calling in. And uh, because we didn't have time yesterday to get to any of our music from our first guest, Once a Tree, we wanted to play a couple of tracks for you. We have that time. We're going to do that for you right now, right here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. We're so happy that they came in yesterday, and we're so happy to play these songs for you, their brand new song, and one other track, so stay tuned right after this. <laughs> 